Last year, there was over 100,000 drug-involved overdose deaths. Sometimes the withdrawal symptoms are so severe that it prevents people from being able to perform normal daily tasks like go to work. So in that sense, harm reduction may be an avenue to helping people stay involved in those productive areas of their life. This is the Brother Be Well podcast. We're focused on the mental health needs of boys and men of color. We have honest conversations to deal with life issues so we can be our best selves. This podcast series is supported by Elevate Youth California and funded through Proposition 64. Check it out, fam. We came together today. We're talking about harm reduction, and it's a topic that came up uh, this summer. We had a whole session to, dedicated to it during our Youth Substance Use Academy here at Brother Be Well. Three of the, well, rather four of the young men on the screen right now were, were of the seven that, that went through that final academy with us, that full academy over the summer. And I remember talking about harm reduction and as controversial as it is in the literature, it's equally controversial when you bring a group of brothers together. There are a lot of different opinions about it. So I thought we'd try to replicate a little bit of that today and uh, stick around and enjoy some of the conversation. One of the people that we're talking with today is Joseph Mealy. He's one of our clinical advisors. He was with us over the summer. He worked with the young man. Hey, Joseph, what's up? How you doing? I'm doing really good. Good to see you again. Why don't you set the stage for us and for somebody listening and watching right now? They don't know what harm reduction is. Why don't you tell, tell us what it is before we start to mix it up? Absolutely. Uh, harm reduction is it's an evidence-based approach to engaging people that are using drugs, and it's equipping them with the tools and the things needed to help them make positive changes in their life. So ultimately what harm reduction is, just kind of in simple terms, is it's it's designed to reduce the risks of what drug use is exposing someone to. So for example, if someone's uh, using needles and they're exposing themselves to much higher risks such as HIV or other uh, transmitted infections, the idea is how can we approach this person to help them reduce the risks that they're being exposed to. Now, it may not necessarily mean that they're going to stop using drugs, uh, but I, the idea is to help them reduce the risk that the drug use is exposing them to. And I appreciate the way you use drugs in a, in a more generic way, uh, Joseph, because not giving you a heads up, just before we got together today, Joel, you asked a really good question and I remember that question coming up over the summer. If you mind repeating it, you asked a question about, are we talking about a, a different drug or the same drug in the treatment of somebody who's addicted? Yeah, so the um, the two questions I had asked was whether if uh, harm reduction is, you know, um, slowly giving substance that is um, someone is addicted to little by little so they can slowly come off of it. And the other question was, are we going to replace that substance with another drug that will be administered from like um, pharmacies and stuff like that from doctors? Yeah. And it's, I thought it was a great question. I don't know what you think about that, Joseph, because I think a lot for a lot of people um, weaning you off of something, the, the closest example I have is a lot of people, I know it's not a hard drug, but but a lot of people are, you know, deal with a with a uh, uh, caffeine dependence, and people will tell you they can't even. I've heard we all probably know them. I can't even get started in the morning without a cup of coffee. Well, you you probably can, and some of it's psychological, but part of it's physical, and you're dependent on that little piece of uh, that little chemical to get you rolling. So the closest I have to compare it to that, and I remember giving up caffeine 
And I, I wish I'd have known about harm reduction. I'd have done a little half and half decaf or whatever. I went cold turkey and I went through several days of headaches and, and not, I wasn't feeling quite myself. So I can imagine if we're talking about something quite a bit stronger than, than caffeine, somebody could really get into trouble if you rip it away from them altogether. Joseph, no? Yeah, absolutely. And and I like to share some examples of, of a couple of different types of harm reduction. So, so one example um, that you may see out in your community is some of these outpatient treatment uh, centers that provide medication-assisted treatment. So imagine someone has an opioid use disorder and the withdrawal symptoms we know are, are, are pretty terrible. Now, one of the harm reduction strategies uh, that's employed is providing them with medication that acts in a way as what the opioid would without the high and, and it, you know, ultimately reducing their risk to continuing, you know, more dangerous types of drug use. So what that is used to is, is to help supplement um, or reduce the risk of withdrawal uh, while limiting their exposure to continued drug use. Uh, another example, maybe less risky, uh, but also an idea of reducing harm is, uh, for example, I work at a high school and with, with a lot of high school students, and right now we're seeing tons of vaping uh, all over campus uh, and throughout many of the high schools in California. And a harm reduction strategy employed for them is they're exposing risk to, uh, you know, disciplinary action, uh, getting ultimately up to uh, expulsion if they continue drug use at school. So a harm reduction strategy for them may be, how do we limit those risks by figuring out ways to maybe not smoke at school? Because many of them may not want to quit smoking, but if we could reduce the risks of creating more problems, such as academically or having to get expelled from school, then a strategy might be to learn how they could continue smoking essentially uh, without the risk of getting in trouble at school. I know it sounds crazy, but again, it's a harm reduction strategy that, that, that that's employed at that level. No, it doesn't sound crazy at all. I, I, I appreciate you sharing it. Let's pull the youth in. Let's pull our young people in that are with us today. Michael, Jason, Joel, Eric, any one of you want to want to start us out? Joel already got us rolling, but one of, so maybe one of the other three. What are your thoughts about some of this harm reduction stuff? I've got a, a question, Joseph, about what you just raised, but but I want to let our youth talk. This is a youth speak, so let's bring them in. What What are y'all thinking? Let's start with maybe Michael. Um, to me, it's it's an interesting concept to think of, kind of cutting back on drugs, you know, by almost taking that same drug but just a little bit less. Um, but I think if it's you know if it's effective, and I feel like the most important thing is that you limit those extremes with drug abuse. And those extremes is, you know, hurting others or hurting yourself. And so if, if you know, this type of method is going to kind of combat that and help with someone's addiction to where, you know, they slowly get off of it to where they can become, you know, independent from the drug. Um, I feel like, you know, if, if it's a real, if it's a real good method that works for a lot of people, then I say, why not try it out? Why not you know, put it to you? Yeah, why not give it a shot? Great, great question. Why not? Jason, what are you thinking? So far, do you agree or disagree? I agree with as far as weaning someone off of a drug, because I've never been through withdrawals myself, but I know that it's brittle, and I know people have died from withdrawals, and they go through crazy extreme conditions. But as far as enabling, I'm not so in that favor of it. 
as far as giving them a safe place or giving them safe needles or safe pipes, I'm not really in that favor. Mm-hmm. Jason, before I go to Eric, I want to ask him what he's thinking. You just said you've not dealt with withdrawal, but you know it's brutal. Do you know it's brutal because of personal experience or watching friends or people you know go through it? Or are you referring maybe to some of the stuff we talked about during the Substance Use Academy over the summer? I'm just curious. I mean, both. Um, the things that we've talked about over the summer and then just knowing people. I know it happens a lot when people get arrested and they go from being on the street every day doing drugs to now they're behind the wall and now they're throwing up multiple times a day. They are just having the chills and it's 100 degrees. They're just dehydrated. It's just, you know, it could cause death. Yeah. Eric, I'm going to give you another minute or two to get a, get your thoughts together because now Jason's really knocking on the door the question that I had. Uh, Joseph, back to you. Jason just talked about that person on the street that's dealing with addiction and then they get arrested and suddenly they go from high all the time to not at all having that substance. And that prompted me to, to rethink a question that came to me earlier. With uh, Is harm reduction generally directed to people that aren't um, already accessing uh, substance use services? Is that where is that how it develops? Because it seemed to me if you were already in a more formal recovery program, harm reduction might be a little too controversial. And maybe I don't know how much science is there, how much data is there to support it. So it, it occurred to me that maybe it was designed for somebody who was not accessing services altogether. And I'm just curious. Well, it, it's really used for both. Um, so to go with a more extreme example, uh, ideally, yeah, it's to save lives. So um, it's called an evidence-based intervention because there's science and research that has shown it to be effective at not only get, act, getting people access to service, but saving lives. So last year there was over 100,000 um, drug involved overdose deaths. So right now the administration is pushing for harm reduction as, as ultimately a way to save lives. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only purpose for it though. So there may be people that are in treatment centers that are um, already engaging in services where harm reduction strategy still may be beneficial for them. So. Going back to the example of of withdrawal symptoms, sometimes the withdrawal symptoms are so severe that it prevents people from being able to perform normal daily tasks like go to work or uh, go to school. So in that sense, harm reduction may be an avenue to helping people stay involved in the productive areas of their life uh, without them having to, you know, cold turkey and experience withdrawal symptoms that are going to be debilitating. You on a regular basis counsel addiction, yes? Joseph, um, did, did you find it as surprising to me, Roland Williams, who, who was our master addictions counselor, I was surprised to hear him speak so strongly, um, not really against harm reduction, but he was really kind of um, analyzing it and breaking it down and coming up with the pros and cons. Are addiction specialists, do they tend to be in one camp or another, or is everybody kind of like Roland, kind of one foot in each camp? Yeah, it's it's really a mix. Uh, so, and, and I think a lot of it is based off of experience and and, and the more pros and cons you experience on each side, I think that that uh, really kind of drives people to push uh, folks towards one way or the other. Uh, I would say the overall consensus is whatever works for people. Yeah. Um, if it works, then it works. And so uh, from my perspective and, you know, the, the circle of folks that I work in, work with as a marriage and family therapist, as a substance you know, use disorder counselor, uh, it's what's going to work best for this individual. 
Yeah, yeah, and and I well, I'll hold that thought too because I got to get Eric in here. We're already we're about halfway through this talk. Haven't heard from my man Eric yet. Eric, what are you thinking? You're sitting there, you're listening in. What are your thoughts on harm reduction? Yay or nay? Maybe do you see the strengths in it? And then second question: Do you have personal experience, either yourself or in your circle, with someone who has struggled with addiction, and they may be a, a they may benefit from a harm harm reduction approach? You know, when listening to all of your like takes on this, I like what uh, Joseph said. And he was pretty practically saying what I wanted to say, which was everyone's different and everyone needs to heal a lot differently. Because, you know, with him dealing with all sorts of different people, uh, uh, counseling people with addictions, each one can take a certain path. Some people can quit cold turkey and that's the best for them. But some of them, it's best to wean them off. And I, what Jason said is a, it's kind of weird or kind of like I think what they call an oxymoron to give them a clean needles to do heroin from or give them clean pipes. Which when I thought I was like, yeah, it, it sounds dumb, but that's just the way some people need to heal. They can't, you can't just rip it away and say, okay, we'll give you the steps. But some of them, like just said, can't function. So I'm more of like with uh, agreeing with him, which is kind of in the middle. It's like there's pros and cons to it, but it works for some people and some people it just doesn't. I'm leaning more towards you can do it because as long as they're getting healed, that's okay with me. But a lot of people are different. So a lot of people can either quit cold turkey or a lot of people have to slowly, slowly be weaned off of it in order to fully heal. Yeah. Even when we talk about um, other substances that are more um, acceptable. We haven't talked about cannabis yet, really. We're talking about some of the harder drugs here, but cannabis now is legal in a lot of states. Nicotine, although we know it's it's very damaging, we also know it's very addictive, it's also quite acceptable, quite accepted in, in American society anyway. And um, I used to, my, my own father was addicted to cigarettes, had been since he was 14 years old and, and died in his early 60s in part because of that lifestyle. And I remember him saying he tried everything. He said, I tried the gum, I tried the patch, I tried it all, and I could not break that addiction. And he used to say, it's impossible to break an addiction to nicotine without some kind of intervention. And he still didn't think you could do it. Well, subsequently, I met a guy who quit cold turkey. He went from two and a half packs a day. He finished that, that, that third pack, that half pack, and then he stopped. And it's been 20 years he hasn't had a cigarette in 20 years and no gum, no patch, no whatever. So everybody is different. I'm not suggesting that just because it worked for him, it could work for you if you're watching. But but clearly he was able to do that without any type of intervention, let alone something like like harm reduction. But I love what you said, Joseph, too. If it works, it works. So if it helps someone get off of the addiction, all the better. I want to ask you another question, Joseph. You mentioned, I think, the figure you just gave. What was the number of, of um, substance-related deaths in, in, in a year that you just gave us? Yeah, it was over 100,000 drug-involved overdose deaths in 2022. That's, I thought you said 100,000. I thought I must have misheard you because that's such a huge number. I don't mean to put you on the spot. Do you have any idea of what percentage of that would be young people, say 25 and under? Uh, that's a good question. I don't have the data on that. Don't have that. But a, a good subset of it would be young people, I would say, that are dying of substance addiction. And so we got to and I can understand harm reduction as it relates to youth, because even when I was thinking about giving someone who's addicted to drugs, a, a, the same drug or another drug, I wasn't even adding the added layer of young people to that. And and a lot of times people people. Uh, maybe Meyer, your age, or let's just say a little older, Joseph, we're really protective of our young people. So you don't want to think about introducing them to a new substance, 
even if there's a hope that it might, at least for me, I'm not a clinician, I'm not a doctor. It would be scary to me for someone who's on one one uh, one substance to give them something else. But you don't know, like we said, everybody's different. How are they going to react to that one? But I guess as long as they're under some kind of medical supervision, it's okay. Yeah, and to speak to the, the medication-assisted piece of it, uh, it's usually for people that are 18 and over. Uh, it's, it's really in I would, somewhat rare cases where uh, there's a replace like a drug replacement for uh, youth. So we so you don't see that too often. Uh, it would have to be uh, typically we only see that in like severe opioid use disorder if they're under 18, uh, where they may get authorized to by a provider to to have a replacement therapy like a buprenorphine uh, or something like that. But for the most part, the the strategy for youth uh, with any substance is a harm reduction or abstinence model. Yeah, yeah. Let's. I want to go back to our youth really quickly before we run out of time. We've we talked a little bit about these substances and asked a general question about your personal experience. But I want to know. You know, Brother B. Wells is a safe space. You can you can say anything here, no judgment at all. I'm just curious about have either of the three of you at least tried. Uh, four of you. Let me see if I can get my math right. If either can the either of the four of you have you tried a potentially addictive lethal substance? And if so, what is it? Let's start with Michael, maybe. Um, I haven't tried any like crazy addictive drug or anything. Um, the most I've done is weed. And so I can't really speak to like, you know, like heroin or cocaine or anything crazy like that. Cause I just haven't, you know, I haven't tried anything like that. Haven't tried in a corner roll, and that's a good thing, right? You and I haven't tried it in the corner roll, and we should stay in that camp. What about you, Eric? Have you tried anything? And let me just say to, to people watching, I know everybody I'm asking this question to is in that over 18 group that Joseph just told us about. So I'm not asking minors about this question. I know they look really young, but all of them are over 18. Eric, how about you? What's the most uh, addictive substance that you've you've tried? Um, for me, I've been fortunate enough to sort of stay away from that. I have been offered it, uh, not really addictive substances, but I have uh, offered substances in the past. But in terms of me, I've stayed clean, but I know that it is um, kind of, it's kind of like a, a stain on my like family, I'd say. Like there's been, my mom has told me stories, of course, of some family members. I think it was up towards, I don't know if it was, if it was amphetamines and cocaine, but I think those were the two. And as to whether they're still doing it in secret or still doing anything else, I'm I'm not sure. But yeah, I've just heard stories of that. And I think... Um, yeah, it was it was not good. But me myself, I've been fortunate enough not to take anything. Yeah, good for you. Good for you. How about you, Jason? How's how's life going? And have you had an? I, I don't want to say opportunity. Have you? I guess that's the way, best way to put it. Have you had an opportunity to try one of these substances we've been talking about, potentially addictive one? Well, I mean, if you would ask me this before we did our ten week program, I would have said no. But after speaking with Roland multiple times. I think I would say, yeah, and um, not addicting or that um, chemically altering or addictive substance would be alcohol. Mm -hmm. I've never considered myself addictive, but I have um, I fell into the trap of alcohol. 
I'm glad. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for reminding me, too. We don't think of alcohol. That's another one that's much more accepted, much more acceptable in social settings. And and I'm going to take back part of what I said earlier. I, I walked in line. I came very, very close uh, 20 years ago to, to being an alcoholic, to being addicted to alcohol. Jack, Jack Daniels was my favorite choice. And, uh, luckily, I managed to get off of that without a Roland Williams. So it's good to hear that Roland can, if I'd have known Roland, I'd have put that bottle of Jack down and that'd have been the end of that back then. But um, now I'm remembering it's, it is really addictive. And I, I found myself using alcohol to weather hard days and hard times. I had a, I had a, a, a reasonably challenging day to day. And back in the day, uh, if I hadn't had this this video to look forward to, I'd have ended today with a shot of Jack and it just became second nature to me. I'm just taking this to chill out. And I didn't really realize that I was getting myself closer and closer to addiction. So thanks for that reminder, Jason. That's another one. How about you, Joel? Yeah, so um, for me, I've never really tried like anything too crazy. Um, I've smoked marijuana before. Um that was, you know, I was a heavy smoker in high school at some point, and then, you know, I'm glad I stopped. I haven't smoked for, for a while now, and um, I think there was a little bit of like, you know, where I would heavy smoke and then go like a day without smoking. I would get a little bit irritated or like feel like I would need to smoke just to get through certain tasks or like just to go to work, and then, you know, um, it became a thing to where. I was like, you know, I can't do this anymore. But overall, it was, it was easy to stop like cold turkey. And it definitely depends on the environment you're in and your mental state of mind and overall who supports you um, for like hard drugs and stuff. Like I have family members that, you know, would um, were smoking uh, methamphetamine meth and um, their come downs and like stuff like that would just be crazy. So you know, they would come off the substance and they would sleep for like two days straight because that um, that heavy drug like keeps you awake for um, hours and hours and days, depending on how much you take or smoke. Um, so like I witnessed that and I was like, wow, that's just, you know, crazy. And overall, it like tore my family apart. So for the most part, I was just like, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to do that. And uh, I'm definitely going to stop smoking weed. <laughs> Man, it's it's good. You know, sometimes you don't. Well, let me ask this question really quickly. Uh, Joel, are those family members okay now? Did they make it through that that recovery journey? Are they okay, or are they still struggling? Um, my my uh, stepsister's father, he actually um, went to prison for two years, and then he was able to get clean from that because he was put in a cell behind walls. Um, but now he just fully smokes marijuana, so he doesn't have to resort to um that's kind of like a harm reduction i would say um so he doesn't use the hard substance but um my mother actually is is not doing too well um i actually haven't heard for her for some time and i'm assuming that she's still you know um using the substance but i'm wishing her well and hoping that she's okay wishing her well sending her good energy i i I lean away from that term thoughts and prayers because, you know, in, in our society, we often throw thoughts and prayers out without thinking about it. So I try not to use those words, but I'll send it a good energy. I know we all are hoping the best for your mom, Joel. We're just about out of time. No, no worries, man. We're, we're just about out of time. I want to have maybe I like to do like closing thoughts, maybe 30 seconds apiece. Just what are your general thoughts about um, 
it's it's an interesting kind of cross generational um, topic. So I think it's interesting. We're almost all in agreement. I think maybe we don't need. Or will we all be in agreement? Maybe everybody can nod. Do we all agree with brother uh, who said it about everybody's different? I think that was Joel who said that first. And then Joseph said, whatever works. Would everybody agree that that's the bottom line on harm reduction? That it's controversial, but if it works, it works. And the bottom line is, as we learned from Roland Williams, we got to get our brothers and sisters, but this is brotherly well, we got to get those brothers off of those hard substances for sure. There, there was a time, Joel, when I would have said, I'm not proud of it, but there was a time when if you just said to me, somebody was was taking marijuana, I, I had I had a little judgment. I grew up in a house where, you know, my mother, believe it or not, my father was an addict. My mother was a teetotaler. So any substance at all, and she would like lean away and there was a little judgment attached to that. And when I was a very young man, I carried some of that with me and I just had to educate myself and get a little smarter about that. So I know hopefully hopefully there aren't too many like people like that around, but people might be watching this with, you know, a different way of thinking about harm reduction. And we need to just throw that out because whatever works, works. Yes. Definitely. All right, man. Listen, we're almost we're we're out of time. We're not almost out of time. I appreciate y'all taking some time out to talk about harm reduction. Um, four of our youth, Michael Betlag, Jason Jones, Joe Suazo, and Eric Gonzalez. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk to you next time. And also, we got Joseph Mealy, our clinician, mental health clinician uh, with hearyou.org. Thanks a lot, Joseph. And thank you for checking this video out. This has been one of our You Speak, uh, one in our You Speak series. If you enjoyed it and listening to what our young people had to say, go to brotherbewell.com. There's a series of You Speaks, a series of all kinds of other videos, audio podcasts, print pieces, all on a variety of behavioral health topics, all designed to help you be well. Check it all out at brotherbewell.com. We're a membership-supported service. Join for free right now. While you're there, give us your email address, sign up for our blog, and then when conversations just like this one go live, you'll be among the first to hear about it. So check it all out at brotherbewell.com. My name is Michael P. Coleman, Content Director for Brother Be Well. I want to thank you for checking out this video and uh, look forward to talking to you next time. And until that next time, take great care of yourself and take great care of somebody else. Until next time, bye-bye. This has been the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. This project is supported by Elevate Youth California and funded through Proposition 64. Don't forget our goals to reduce disparities, prevent substance abuse, and to end prolonged suffering. Be sure to subscribe to our blog and join us next time. Keep on keeping on, family.